Hello, welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. In uh, this episode, I'll be looking at two short pieces by Lovecraft written in, in 1922, both written in 1922. The first is Azatoth, which is just a, a small, it's like less than 500 words. It's a fragment of a, of a novel he was thinking about writing, um, which the topic of it was, I guess, Azathoth. It's a god that appears in the Dream of Quest of the Unknown Kadath, and it's mentioned in the Dreams of the Witch House. I think it's mentioned maybe in some of their stories just in passing, along with some of these other Lovecraftian deities. Um, but this story itself, it doesn't even really mention Azathoth. It's just a setting, really. And But it's got some interesting stuff to, to talk about. And then uh, we'll look at What the Moon Brings, which is just slightly longer, although it is a complete it's 700 words and that um, it's kind of a prose poem it's got some interesting stuff here too the, these two stories are kind of thematically similar they're both really cosmic horror tales about alienated people who you know start to you know catch a glimpse into uh, another world uh, Azatoth actually is more closely about alienation and discontent with this world it, it's very much like a dreamland story in that way what the moon brings is is more about the horror of 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 that which lies behind beyond and in the case it's the moon and of course the moon shows up so much in lovecraft stories it's it's not surprising that he wrote a little story you know specifically talking about the moon as a as as a window into into that kind of other realm that 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 realm beyond the veil so let's uh let's just start with azathoth um let's try to do these quickly um so azathoth this the little fragment only three paragraphs long so we'll, we'll look at, at all three of those in in some detail um so azathoth opens with a really really compelling description i actually think this is a great introduction a great summation of so much of what we saw in the dream one stories this idea that this world is kind of reduced to kind of shit and there's there's uh, a great degree of alienation it's almost like um uh, you know lovecraft's so conservative right and we think of uh you know his conservatism is really more of a paleo conservative uh perspective right he, he doesn't want to just keep Kind of capitalist society the way it is at, at the time he's he's writing of course it is not so much communism but capitalism which is like the transformative force in the world right of course you do have the russian revolution and you have communist movements but this is still the era of mass industrialization and the expansion of capitalism to to every corner of the world um and so lovecraft's conservatism kind of puts him back to this pre-industrial um world the 18th century in particular but this opening paragraph is a great description of this alienation and, and anxiety over this changing world. He writes, When age fell upon the world and wonder went out of the minds of men, when gray cities reared to smoky skies, tall towers grim and ugly, in whose shadows none might dream of the sun or the spring's flowering meads, when learning stripped earth of her mantle of beauty, and poets sang no more save of twisted phantoms seen with bleared and inward-looking eyes, so really wonderful introduction. You have the ugliness of the modern city, the gray cities. We've seen these cities before in like the quest of Irinon, uh, some other Dreamland stories. It's a, it's a imagery he comes back to a lot in the Dreamland stories. It's just kind of the, the degraded 
uh, modern industrial society. It even shows up in the white ship, as we'll recall. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's it's wonderful. And you even have ecology here, right? You know, learning, stripping the earth of her mantle of beauty. Um, poets, poetry, art being degraded by industrialization as well. And so after this introduction, we're, 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 we're told of the man, our, our, our character, such as he is in the story. I guess this would have been the man who would have been the, the centerpiece of this novel had he ever finished it. This seems to be the beginning of it. Um, there's a man who traveled out of life on a quest into the space whither the world's dreams had fled. So it is sort of a dreamland story, but as someone trying to quest for this past, it's really like Lovecraft, I think. Lovecraft is is often putting himself into these dreamland stories directly, and I think that's the case here. Then the next paragraph begins just as interestingly, Lovecraft writes, of the name and abode of this man, but little is written, for they were of the waking world. That's really, I had to look at that several times to think through it. Why, if it's of the waking world, and this is, I suppose, exists in our waking world, why wouldn't it be known? But when you read more, you kind of realize it's because he's just kind of an unknown nobody and, and therefore kind of forgotten, over, you know, overshadowed by, by the rest of the world's the, its greatness. Even if it's a degraded greatness, you know, it's... It doesn't have time. It doesn't have interest in the abode and name of a man such as this. Now, this um, is what we see in the Dreamland stories before, right? In, in Selephus, for instance, where we have a nobody in London who f wants to go to the Dreamlands to find fame, to find to become a king, to become what he can't be in this world. This, this, our world is one of, 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 of lost, of no opportunity, of limited opportunity for the vast majority of people. I think, I think that's what he's saying here. And then we get a description of the place he lives, which is just one of these gray buildings. Um, you know, he dwelt in a city of high walls where sterile twilight remained, and that he toiled all day among shadow and turmoil, coming home at evening to a room whose one window opened, not on the fields and groves, but on the dim court, where other windows stared in full dull, in dull despair. So he's like a working class guy who's forgotten he doesn't have a name his abode doesn't matter you know and he just works in drudgery all day returning at the end of his term at, at the end of his labors to a to a dull boring house where his only kind of window out in the world is it was only window his only way he can look out in the world is through one small window um, and that allows him to look at the at the stars and so he spends his night looking at the stars and dreaming and imagining things, right? And even going mad, Lovecraft suggests this, because he says mere walls and windows must soon drive a man to madness who dreams and reads too much. But that seems to be the situation he's in, um, where he can only sort of look out at these, the, at these stars. So it seems madness is part of his, his character or kind of a progressing madness. But he dreams, and he dreams beyond the waking world, beyond the grayness of tall cities, he learns the stars, he knows the stars, he follows them. He's like a little amateur astronomer. Of course, Lovecraft was, was too. But then, at some point, the, the, the bridge is gapped, you know, or the gap is bridged, I should say. And he's able to kind of get this connection to this, this greater universe beyond the veil. Quote, Till at length his vision opened to many secret vistas who existence no common eye suspects. Um, and this actually merges with him at the end of the second paragraph. 
And then the final paragraph of this little fragment kind of shows what happens to him after this this gap is bridged. And it's just it's just kind of good old wild, almost undes- you know hard to describe Lovecraftian writing, where he's trying to to give a sense of 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 some vaster reality beyond our our senses. Uh, quote: Noiseless infinity editor on the dreamer and wafted him away without even touching the body that leaned stiffly from the lonely window. And for days, not counted in men's calendars, the tides of far fears bear him gently to join the dreams which he longed in the dreams that men have lost so this becomes a way for him to not only get his own personal liberation but but even suggested some sort of liberation for for all mankind uh to escape this dreary the gray cities the tall towers the decadent and meaningless art the degraded beauty of the, of the planet all that is there's some hope here uh, of getting something for to get something that mankind has lost. And the final sentence suggests that he's transported via these um, these experiences, quote, and in the course of many cycles, they tenderly left him sleeping on a grass sunrise shore, a green shorn fragment with lotus blossoms and stared by red camelots. So that's that's obviously not the world he was born into. That that's doesn't have an ecology. It's only these dull boring gray cities it's our world right but he's been transported so this it's kind of like the starting of a, of a dream quest novel and he finishes that that's how i think it would have would have went um although we really can't know too much about this story of course this does set up the dream quest of the unknown kadaf so i think it's not so much that this i mean this was a novel that never was and I would have liked to see what he would have done with Azathoth in the entire novel. Obviously, Azathoth doesn't appear here, but apparently Lovecraft was thinking Azathoth would be a a theme or, or a character or an entity in the story. Um, but he kind of does a lot of this stuff in the Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath. So we'll just have to wait to, to talk about it then. So not a whole lot to say, but I do think it's it's visually a very a stunning little fragment and uh, really condenses a lot of the themes we've seen in the dream one stories. So then we get to what the moon brings. So what the moon brings was written on June 5th, 1922. It was published in the national amateur in May of 1923. So written around the same time that at the toss was written. I think this might've actually been written a little bit soon earlier. Um, so this was based on one of Lovecraft's dreams, and it's it's you know it's it's like Nyarlathotep or or stories like that, which are which are drawn straight from Lovecraft's dreams. Um, it's a pretty good one though. Um, so as it starts, we're just told that our narrator hates the moon um, because of some experience he has, and this, of course, we see all the time in Lovecraft. Right? It came up all the time in um, in um, Herbert West Reanimator, where you start with what kind of the what causes the fear and then the explanation of, of where that comes from to so the climax is the is connecting back to that original terror and that this story is the same way i hate the moon i'm afraid of it and when it shines on certain scenes familiar and loved it sometimes makes them unfamiliar and hideous which i think is a real experience we might have i don't know about the moon but just darkness in general like night um and maybe the having the moonlight makes it even creepier i suppose but you know, common places in night do seem different, right? Things seem creepier. Sounds are are experienced differently. 
and that's just because we're 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 creatures of the day, right? Common city streets at nighttime can can have a very can be a very different experience than walking those same streets in the day. Um, so, anyways, we kind of have almost like a dreamlike setting here, where it's a summer. It's the moon. It's at night. The moon is shining down on this old garden where he often wandered. Um, and so it's summertime, and he's walking through these. Uh, they're narcotic flowers. Um, but he's walking through this garden with all these flowers. And although the garden is familiar to him, he starts to uh, see strange things, strange colors, um, unwanted ripples tipped with yellow light, for instance. Um, he, he starts to see waters in different ways, placid waters drawn on in resistless currents to strange oceans that are not of this world. He even has a great description of the lotus blossoms breaking away and floating through the air and then dropping into the into this river, the stream and and kind of swirling away, but quote, staring back with the sinister resignation of calm, dead faces. Now, all of this is fairly it's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but it's it's an experience we have. Right. It's it's when we're at, when it's nighttime, when we're under the moonlight. It's everything's else completely dark, right? I don't know. Maybe we don't experience this in the same way anymore because everything's lit, right? In Lovecraft's days, I guess you started to have electricity in cities kind of filtering in, but there's still a lot at nighttime. A lot of places were dark and, and the true darkness of, of night. And, you know, we just don't experience this the same way anymore because our city streets are lit because we do have um, electricity everywhere and houses are all lit. We don't see that same kind of uh, experience of darkness. We're gonna. This comes up again in the unnameable. Actually, uh, it's just the the modernity of of the lit village versus the 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 pre modern world or even the early modern world in which the night was just dark and all you had was the moonlight and it does shape our senses. I think. So, anyways, he crosses this bridge that's over this little uh, stream and. He begins walking, stepping on the, the, the flowers and begins to have a fear. He begins to fear these unknown things, these dead faces that he's seen in the stream. But then he, with, with terror, he realizes that the garden doesn't have an end under the moon. Quote, I saw that the garden had no end under the moon and where, the day, where by day the walls were, there stretched now only new vistas of trees and paths, flowers and shrubs, stone idols and pagodas, and bending of a yellow lit and stream past grassy banks and under grotesque bridges of marble. So it kind of enters into a, not just a new perception of the things that are commonplace, but actually into a whole new kind of world. So he's kind of able to go beyond the veil due to uh, the moonlight. So what's drawing him on um, in this? Well, it's a dream, so I guess the, the, the consciousness in, in a dream is what's driving Lovecraft on when he experienced this the first time while, uh, while dreaming. But it, within the story, he's being driven on by the dead faces of these lotus. So he calls these the dead lotus faces, the, the faces he's seen in these lotus um, blossoms that are floating on the on the on the stream and the stream expands into a river and then expands into an ocean, a nameless sea that he finally reaches. So he's trying to follow these lotus, these dead lotus flowers, but they kind of vanish into the sea. And now the moon even descends into the West. 
right? And he starts to see the sea a little bit differently. I saw that the that I saw in that light old spires that the waves almost uncovered, and white columns gray with festum green seaweed. And knowing that to this sunken place all the dead had come, I trembled and did not want to speak. Did not wish again to speak with the lotus faces. So he sees this kind of construction out there. Then he visions like a black condor, which he wants to speak to, and he wants to ask the condor about those he'd known when he was when they were alive. So he wants to talk to them about the dead, um, but it's too far away, so he can't see them, or he can't speak with him. So he's looking across the sea. The condor is outside of his reach. The dead lotus flowers are beyond his reach. And he sees this, this construction, this city kind of in the back, backdrop. And he's just now staring at the waves. And the waves really, it's kind of really surreal. The waves begin to transform into, into sea worms, into these puffy sea worms. Um, quote, in this unplaced and forgotten spot had all the flesh of the churchyards gathered for puffy sea worms to gnaw and glut upon. So these are like the, the worms that eat the dead, right? These are the, the corpse worms. So then he looks out at the sea um, and he see, he's looking at this reef, which he actually saw before this reef. But this reef transforms itself into a monster of, of some sorts. Quote, and when I saw that the reef was but a black ballast crown of a shocking econ whose monstrous forehead now shone in the dim moonlight and whose vile hooves must paw the hellish ooze miles below, I shrieked and shrieked lest the hidden faces rise above the waters. Um, and so he flees. So he jumps into the water and tries to swim towards the, tries to swim towards this city, this building to escape the monster. So he's kind of swimming towards his death because he's following these dead lotus faces, right? He's following the condor, which goes also to that sunken city, you know, which he wants to ask about the fate of the dead. So that's also associated with death and the worms. The worms are associated with death as well. So he's escaping this creature, uh, but plunging into death as, an, as a preferable alternative. And the ending is really great where we, we, he sees some kind of beauty in the corpse worms that that obviously is is preferable to the horror that he saw emerging out of the reef quote and to escape this relentless thing i plunged gladly and unhesitantly into the stinking shallows where amid weedy walls and sunken streets fat sea worms feast upon the world's dead and he's too soon to join them i i don't think this ending is very ambiguous i think he is dead um at least as, as far as the story goes if he's a dreamer, you know, I don't know what's what's going on there. But um, Lovecraft, of course, woke up and wrote the story. But um, yeah, so that's a very different story. Uh, oh, the ambig ambiguity would be in that the narrator talks about how the how the moon scares him at the beginning. Right. But so if this event led him to fear the moonlight, you know, then it, it seems he wouldn't didn't have, didn't die. But, you know, within the dream, I think death is the. This is the outcome of our of our narrator. So anyways, we have two little stories, both of which are about kind of peeling back the veil and and seeing something beyond it. One's much more optimistic. I think Azatoth, at least the fragment we have of it, starts out as a fairly optimistic story in which we have a dreary, degraded world destroyed by industry and progress and science. And we have a 
essentially a working class dreamer who's able to escape that world to something more hopeful with with green grass and 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 maybe some hope for humanity through that and what the moon brings we have of course just a, a dreamer seeing terror and and finding death preferable to whatever terror he's he the moonlight has has revealed to him so i guess that's it uh, those are my thoughts on those two stories um so let me know what you think send me a message if you have your own thoughts about either of these two little tales um coming up next we're going to have a, a trio of, of stories all written in 1922 in the autumn of 1922 they're all great stories some of my favorite, um, The Unnameable, uh, a Carter story, um, which is really meta. I mean, The Unnameable is really a meta story. And I think it's a really great discourse on, about Lovecraft's whole career, which we kind of see, you know, him kind of going from focusing on the unnameable to, to try and actually name and identify things. And that debate, which I think Lovecraft is having in his own head, is, is played out in the story itself. And then we have The Hound which um, I like. Uh, some, some people don't like that story, don't read it that much, but I kind of dig it, especially about the collecting aspect of it. The grave robbing part of it, I think is pretty interesting. Uh, and the lurking fear, which we're getting back to themes of genetics and, and descent and family heritage and all that good stuff. So um, three really wonderful stories. We'll probably do that over four episodes just because the lurking fear is so, so long. But that's it for now. Um, I will we'll see you soon. Um, we have a couple more Dreamland Tales coming up if you're really interested in those. I think the Silver Key and the Dream Quest of the Unknown Kadath are the only two that might be left. There might be another that I forgot, but um, the, those are coming up shortly. Um, but uh, anyways, see you next time with uh, the Unnameable will be first. That's the first one we'll look at. See you then.